listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. God, as we open your word this morning and see the message that you have for us, Lord, I just would ask that uh, my words would be what you'd have shared with this audience here today, Lord. God, our desire is that uh, through your word that we draw closer to you, that we become more of who you want us to be. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So in my uh, regular job, I'm the administrator principal at a uh, Christian school. And uh, this week I, I got an email from a mom and her son, Will, who's, a, who's just finished up his sophomore year of high school, has decided that he's going to go to a different school next year. And um, I don't lose that many kids, and when I do, it hurts, so it was difficult. Mom, and really, in fact, didn't really want him to go somewhere else either. But as I, as I thought about Will's story, I thought, you know what? I think I understand what's going on there a little bit. Will had had a, uh, there was a circle of friends within his class, his grade level, that, that Will really wanted to be connected to. But because of some things that he had done or his mom had done while he was in like eighth grade, maybe even the beginning of ninth grade, those relationships had broken down. So where Will wanted to have a sense of belonging, he no longer had that. He had a different circle of friends, perhaps, but it wasn't necessarily the circle that he wanted. So his group, the group that he wanted to belong to, he was struggling to connect with. So that's Will's story. Then there's a uh, young lady named Ivy, and Ivy's uh, parents were divorced when she was about four or five uh, years old. The dad sort of walked out of her life, was not involved anymore. Um, Mom had maybe a couple of uh, boyfriends over the next, you know, 10, 15 years in her life. And um, Ivy, uh, as she reached adolescence, Ivy had this big need for love in her life, and particularly love from her dad that she wasn't able to have. And Ivy's answer to that was to be boy crazy, to look for that love in relationships with uh, young guys. And as I thought about it, well, why is it that way? The reality is, is that Will and Ivy are simply reflecting something that's true for all of us. All of us have this built-in need for belonging, this built-in desire for love. We want to feel like we belong, and we want to know that other people love us. For Will, that desire to belong was so strong that he was willing to take that socially risky strategy of, of going to a new school and trying to find a place that he belonged. For Ivy, that desire for love, particularly love from her dad, meant that she pursued these other kinds of relationships in her life looking for love. And it's, it's very similar for us. We, we also have those same desires for love and belonging. In the 20th century, there's this uh, American uh, psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow. And uh, he made an observation about the world, about basic human needs and the hierarchy of those needs. And uh, his findings, uh, I think we're going to see a little uh, picture of it. But, um, and I will say this, as Christians... Uh, Maslow's approach was a very secular approach. There's a lot of things about what he believed that were, are things that we would not agree with. But I think particularly in his, his definition of those, 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 uh, the bottom three sets of needs in life, he's captured something that's true about the world. Um, here's a little bonus for you today. Um, I was thinking about this a little bit as I thought about Maslow. 
how do we as Christians tend to look at the advances that are made in science, right? So I think, unfortunately, as Christians, we, we tend to go to one of two different extremes. The one extreme says, oh my goodness, if it's not in the Bible, if a Christian didn't discover it or do it, then it must not be true. Then the other extreme sort of says, hey, if science said this is true, then that must be it. And I got to find a way to make the Bible work with it. So these are the two kinds of extremes that we as Christians tend to have as we approach uh, science. And I really would, would caution you on that. The reality is, is that God's made an objective world. A world that we as human beings have some capacity to come to understand. Not fully, but some capacity to come to understand it. And, uh, and that whether a person is a believer or not, they're all made in God's image. And they've all been given that capacity to understand and, and discover things that are true about God's world. And so sometimes we've, you may have heard this expression before that we sometimes will use. But the idea that all truth is God's truth. This idea that uh, anything that is genuinely true about the world is that way because God made it to be that way. And, and therefore, it shouldn't be something that scares us. So our approach to understanding things as science shouldn't be to shun all of it or necessarily to believe all of it, but to recognize it from a, a biblical perspective that says, hey, if this is something that's true, it recognizes something that's true about the world. So that was your bonus sermon. <laughs> well, let's go back to Maslow here for a moment, though. Um, he identified that love and belonging are core needs for all human beings. Now, these are above the needs that he identifies below, needs for safety and security, for food and water. But nevertheless, they are the kind of needs that are so central to who we are that they provide a motivation for our actions. They explain why we do what we do. I want to take a moment, though, to say, well, why is it that way? Why would that be the case? And I'm going to go back and look at uh, the account in Genesis of the creation and I know some of you, uh, I don't speak that often here, but I feel like every time I do, I end up going back to this part of the Bible. And some of you must think, this must be the only part of the Bible this guy knows anything about. Um, it isn't. Um, but whatever the reason is, you might be imagining, there's a reason why I do go back to looking at these passages. Because this is where we can see the world the way God intended the world to be prior to the fall. So we see what God's ideal was when he created the world. And we're going to see this um, as we look at it. And I have uh, four points I want to make, at, uh, make in this area. So what do we see when we look at Genesis? One is we see that God made us to be in a relationship with him. Genesis one uh, twenty six says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then in Verse 27, he goes on to say, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So just picture for a moment the scene that's going on in heaven. And there's this conversation going on amongst the Godhead, among the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't get it. We don't really understand it. But there's this conversation going on that says, let us. Talking in the plural, let us make man. There's communication going on with it. It says, let us make man in our image. So when you think about even that experience of what was going on, and you recognize that we've been made in God's image, we too have this capacity to communicate. We have this desire to be in relationship. Um, so God's made us like him in this regard in that we are designed to be in relationship specifically with him. 
Second, God made us to experience relationship, particularly within the context of marriage and family. So in Genesis chapter 2, we get a fuller picture of the creation account. We see a fuller picture of the creation of the first man and the first woman. It says in in Genesis 2.18 that that God uh, made Adam first, but then get this quote. It says, it was not good for man to be alone. So God's answer to this is that he created woman. And he ordained a special relationship between them that we call marriage. So God has made us to be in relationship with others. Third point here. God made us to love and to be loved. So elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us that God is love. And so we're made in that image of God. We have a capacity to love and a desire for love and a need for love that God has put into us because we're made in his image. And the fourth thing that we see from this passage in Genesis is that we we begin to understand and see our need for belonging. In Genesis chapter 3, it describes the kind of relationship that God had with man. God would come down to earth in fellowship with man. We, We can't, that blows our minds today. We can't possibly understand what it must have been like. But it does demonstrate to us the sense of belonging that Adam and Eve must have had. They were in this perfect relationship with God. They were loved by him and they loved him. It, was, it gave them a, a great sense of belonging. Now, not only was this relationship characterized by love, it also had purpose. Genesis chapter 2 describes God giving man a role in the garden to, quote, work it and to keep it. Later, that was in Genesis 2.15. Later, we see God bringing all the animals to Adam for him to name them. In Genesis chapter 1, God directs Adam and Eve to have dominion over the world, meaning to have responsibility for the earth. And we see that God made it where human beings would know their place. And because they knew their place, there would be a sense of belonging, a sense of security in that. They were, yes, in subjection to him, but in a unique relationship characterized by love. But with a real responsibility for and an elevated status over the rest of creation. So that was where our sense of belonging came from, is this position that God's created in relationship with him, but with a set of responsibilities and duties that followed uh, from that. But all of this changes in the fall. And I don't mean the season. I mean the fact that man chose sin. So what happens in Genesis chapter 3? So God has said to Adam and Eve, all this, this whole garden is yours. Everything in it, except for one thing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are not to eat of the fruit of that tree. And then what do we see happening in Genesis chapter 3? Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve. And uh, they, eat, they disobey God and they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instantly, their relationship with God changes. They, the Bible tells us that they hid from God. Their sin now separated them from God. Let's be clear. God's love had not changed. God still loved them. 
But because of their sin, they felt incapable of enjoying God's love in the way that they had before. The guilt of their sin, perhaps, um, made them doubt God's love for them. And that's not all. Part of the consequences of their sin uh, really destroyed their sense of belonging. What happens? They're kicked out of the garden. Uh, God goes on to tell them that no longer is work going to be a joy, but it becomes a necessity marked by difficult toil. The Bible describes the fact that when God gives man his punishment, he states that man will now need to work by the sweat of his brow. Further, that perfect relationship between the man and the woman is marred because of sin as well. God had created it. God had made that relationship to be a certain way. And because of sin, it's now messed up. So what happens? First, when God confronts Adam and says, what have you done? Adam says, the woman made me do it. Right? So, you know, not very long after the fall or after this moment of sin that comes in, that their relationship is now messed up. Selfishness has begun to destroy their relationship. Adam's answer is that she made me do it. Um, later in Genesis 3.16, where God's giving his consequence to the woman for her part in this, uh, we see that uh, describes the fact that because of the fall, the relationship between man and woman will be warped as a result of sin. So these are things that are not the way that they're supposed to be, but are things that are there because of sin. So if that's sort of how we got to be where we are today, if that sort of explains our human condition, what can we do about it? The answer, unfortunately, is nothing, right? But thankfully, God chose to do something about it. Left to ourselves, our tendency is to seek the, the, to answer this need for love and belonging on our own, right? So we said before, God made us with a, with a need for love, a desire for love, and a need for belonging. And because of the fall, we're now separated from God. Man went and looked for other ways to fulfill and meet those needs. So we try to meet that need for love and belonging on our own. To immerse ourselves in human relationships that, while sometimes positive can also be problematic. They are marked by selfishness. The sin nature that we possess rears its ugly head in those kinds of relationships. Our tendency is that when we seek to fulfill those needs solely through our relationship with others, our way that we interact with God becomes road or religious. It becomes about what we do, about checking off the boxes of, of fulfilling law rather than the way that it should be. I want to look a little bit about, well, what should it be like? So going back to something I shared earlier. So God's love for us did not change when man chose sin, when man chose to do bad things, when man fell. He still loves us. And we see this in, in John three sixteen. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love for us continues. So God's response to man's fall is that he found a way to bridge the gap that now existed between us. He found a way to satisfy his need for holiness while making way, a way for us to have our relationship with him restored. His solution was to send his son to earth to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Christ came to earth, took our sins on himself, 
uh, took on the punishment for our sins on the cross, which then allows God to forgive us our sins if we're willing to accept the payment that his son has made. I want to take a look at a passage that will really, I think, help this come alive for us. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 22. So this is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let's break this down just a little bit more so that we can really understand it. So looking again at verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Who's he talking to? He's talking to everybody. Everybody that's not a Jew is what's called a Gentile. So most of us in this audience would be what's called Gentiles. And we're, we're given this term by others called the uncircumcision. And you can tell it was a derogatory kind of term given by those who were Jewish. But he calls the circumcision here. So God had ordained this practice of circumcision to show that his people were, were set apart. And what's interesting in this passage, though, is you can clearly see that that act that God had established had taken on a a different purpose and a different meaning, and it was being used in ways that God hadn't intended. It was being used in ways to separate and look down upon people that were different than yourself. The uncircumcision, that's us, were being looked down upon by uh, those that were Jewish. And the author adds this term, which I think really helps us understand uh, the fact that this wasn't the way God wanted. Because he says, which is made in the flesh by hands. The last part of uh, verse number 11. You can see what's happened is that what God intended for a real purpose has become something that's just a religious exercise. Something that's being used to separate and divide people, not being what God intended. And then in verse 12, it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. Verse 12 tells us the reality of our condition without God in our lives, without Jesus Christ. The reality of our condition is that we are separated from him. There's a gap between us that cannot be met. And that's the result. We have this desire for belonging, and we've, when we have that gap, when that gap exists, we are automatically in a place where we don't feel like we belong. So that is a, that's the desperate nature of our condition. 
And yet that's not the answer to it. What happens in verse 13 and verse 14? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What an amazing picture of what God has done through the work of Christ on the cross. The idea of being brought near. I was thinking about that when I was thinking about uh, in preparing this sermon. Thinking about in a family situation, how, how do we help children know that they belong? We reach out, we wrap them in our arms, we draw them close and we hug them. That's a little bit of the picture of exactly what God has done through the work of Christ on the cross. There's this gap, there's this barrier between us and Christ reaches out across that, wraps us in his love in his arms and, and draws us in in a hug that says, you belong. You, can, you, you are loved, you have a sense of belonging because of what I have done uh, for you. And then in verse 14, it adds to it in terms of our understanding of it. It says there, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's there's two aspects to the peace that's in this this passage. First of all, remember verse 12. There's a real separation between us and God when we are not a believer, when we're not a follower of him, when we haven't accepted the work of what Christ has done on the cross. And so that peace that the Bible describes as we're at enmity with God, we are at war with God when we're in that condition. So the first aspect of peace that comes is the peace between us and God through that work of Christ. And and there's another aspect of peace that comes that we see in this passage, and that's peace with others. So what Christ has done on the cross breaks down barriers that exist. So the passage itself deals specifically with the Gentiles and the Jewish people, but it goes well beyond that. It goes beyond, it goes to the fact of uh, racial differences, of ethnic differences, of countries, of nationalities, and so on. They're all brought, there's peace there that exists under that common bond of what Christ has done. How does he do this? Verse 15 gives us something that's really interesting. It says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So God has done this through Christ by by getting rid of religious rules to a great extent and making it about him and being in relationship with him. In doing so, he creates peace between humans. We are all part of God's family, those of us that are followers of Christ. Um, We see this in verse 19. So then we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. So we now have this place of belonging. We have our desire for belonging filled because of what Christ has done. He's, He's through his son saved us and brought us into relationship with him in this thing called the church, this household of God, the, the, uh, 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 the, the church where Christ Jesus is himself the cornerstone, as we see in verse 20. Um, what's interesting about it in verse 17, too, it says, uh, He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. This is really important to understand because remember, for the Jewish audience that might have been part of reading this passage, they thought they were all that. They thought they were all in. We're, we're good. We're golden. We're doing what God's saying. We're God's chosen people. But the peace that God brought through Jesus Christ was for both those that were far off, those of us that were Gentiles, and those for us, that, those that were near. Because in reality, it's about relationship. It's not about simply fulfilling laws and rules and uh, um, checking off boxes and, and thinking how somehow I'm going to satisfy God's demands by doing the, uh, the things that he wants me to do. So what's our response supposed to be to this, I thought of this in, in two kinds of ways. 
There may be two different kinds of people in this audience today. If you're here today and you, you're still separated from God, you're still looking in other directions for uh, love and for a sense of belonging because that relationship with God has not been restored. Uh, you haven't necessarily recognized the fact that you've done bad things that separate you from God, that you're born with a sin nature that prevents you from being able to please God. If, if that's you today, today can be the day where, where that can change. We just have to recognize the fact that, that that separation that exists, that punishment that we're receiving because of sin, uh, God's paid the price for that by the death of his son. So Christ is reaching out to you in his arms and seeking to draw you to himself. To restore that relationship with God through the death of his son. And all you have to do is to say, God, I recognize the fact that I'm a sinner. I recognize that what I've done has destroyed my relationship with you. And I desire, you've made me desire love and I want to love you. I desire to belong and to belong in your kingdom, in your church. And today you can make that decision and I would just encourage you to do do that. And then I thought there's a second group of us that may be here today where we've already done that. Our relationship with God has been restored at some point in the past. But what sometimes happens is that we get drawn away from it. The compass that should be pointing true north ends up starting to get warped and pulled in a different direction. We start to look for love in other places in our human relationships. We look for a sense of belonging in others instead of with God. And honestly, probably for all of us, it happens at different points in our relationship with God. Because our tendency when that happens is that we take this relationship and say, well, I got to do these things. I got I to gotta read the Bible like this. I got I to pray like this. I got I to gotta be at church every time the doors are open and not recognize what it's all about. But God's answer to that is to say, let's get this compass back and pointed at true north. And this passage, I think, really gets at what it's all about. When you look at our condition that you see in verse 12, and then you recognize that there's nothing that we could do about that condition, that he's done it all, then our response ought to be, man, this thing ought to go right back to due uh, due north, that compass go back to due north, and recognize the fact that everything I am, everything I've uh, received from God, I owe to him. Our response ought to be a heart of worship, right? I mean, there's, there's nothing that we could do about our condition. God has done it for him. So there's nothing I can do to make myself right before him. All the religious things I do are not going to make a difference. My response to him and to what he's done should be a heart of worship. For he himself is our peace. Uh, God has reached out and hugged us, drawn us to him. Uh, and it was impossible to be done without him. I mean, this is an amazing passage that shows what God has done for us. And it ought to draw us to the point of recognizing that our lives ought to be lined up with who he is and who he wants us to be in relationship with him, not by checking off these religious do's and don'ts. I'm going to close there. And if I can have uh, the worship group come back up again. So if you're here today and, and you're in that first group that I described where your relation, you're still separated from God, I just would ask, I'd challenge you to make this be the day where you allow Christ, who's trying to draw you to him, 
as this passage described, where Christ's work on the cross makes it possible for us to have that relationship with God, that today would be the day that you would accept that. Then if you're here today, and in, in your relationship with God has sort of gotten off center, where you're much more focused on satisfying your need for love and belonging through your relationships with others rather than through God, then I just encourage you to make this be the day where you realign your life with who he is, live out a heart of worship as he desires. Let's pray. God, as we think about this passage and and think about our human condition, we're just so grateful to you for what you've done. You've made us, God, to be in relationship with you. You've given us a desire for and a capacity for love. You've given us a, a need for belonging in our life. And you've provided the source of that. But so often we mess up whether it's in our broken, fallen condition before we recognize even what your son has done on the cross for us, or even after we're followers of you and we, we again get distracted by those human relationships. We get pulled aside by them in such a way that we are looking for those relationships as a source for love, as a place of belonging. And you pull us back through this passage and say, it's not about you, it's not about what you do as a human being, it's about me as what God says to us. It's about what I've done for you and the death of my son on the cross. It's about the relationship that I want to have with you. Lord, help our compasses to be pointed true north, Lord, towards you and to what you've done. Help our hearts to be filled with worship for you. And now, Lord, as our ushers come forward, Lord, we pray that these uh, tithes and offerings, these gifts of the people here at the church would be used to further your kingdom. Lord, our desire as a church is to live out your radical love in Redlands and beyond. Like this passage said, you've torn down these barriers that exist between human beings. We're all equal before you. Whether we're from African descent or Latino or Asian or European descent, Lord, you've made us one at the foot of your cross, Lord. You've torn down barriers between us and we're part of your kingdom. May we be able to further through these gifts to this this offering, Lord, your kingdom in this community by living out your radical love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.